listening to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with host Shereen Rice on the CWR Talk Network. Good evening, this is Shereen Rice with Making a Difference About Domestic Violence. My goal for this show is to educate and help in the healing journey for those that are suffering from domestic abuse. I'm pre-recording tonight, so you won't be able to call in, but if you do want to get a hold of me, I do have my email, ShereenCWR at gmail.com, and I'll spell that out for you, S-H-A-R-E-E-N-E-C-W-R at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you if you'd like to... Uh, ask any questions that um, may arise tonight that you're interested in, okay? Um, I'd like to remind everyone that my show is every Thursday night at 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 Mountain, and 8 Central Time. My show can also be heard on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and now iHeartRadio as well. If you subscribe to those services, um, if you do not, you can go to our cwrtalknetwork.com and you can click on the logo to that service. If at any time you experience a trigger by this topic, please call the national hotline of 1-800-799-SAFE, 1-800-799-7233. Okay, we'll be right back for our public service announcement, and then I will introduce our guest. This message is for all of you sitting in the passenger seat, and apologies if it gets a little uncomfortable, but how does it feel to be at the mercy of someone who thinks a random text is more important than your life? Someone who takes their eyes off the road while speeding along in a three-ton hunk of steel. Freaky, right? Well, why not just ask them to stop? Or better yet, volunteer to text for them. It might be a little awkward, but believe me, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Welcome back to Making a Difference About Domestic Violence and Abuse with your host, Shereen Rice, on the CWR Talk Network. Welcome back. This is Shireen again. Tonight I have a gentleman from Hawaii. He is a writer, actor, trainer, and consultant by the name of Kevin Henry. So let me share a little bit about him. Kevin Henry has spent more than 30 years working as a journalist, facilitator, and consultant in Seattle and Honolulu from 1994 to 2015. Kevin managed the City of Bellevue First Diversity Program, which involved event planning, hosting public affairs, radio programs, and training workshops. Uh, training workshop attendees on various topics related to diversity. In addition, he edited and wrote articles about social health and diversity issues for several publications in Washington State. After moving to Honolulu in 2015, Kevin worked for the nonprofit Child and Family Services as the volunteer engagement manager, which involved recruiting volunteers to work in domestic violence shelters and at-risk youth programs. In addition, he coached domestic violence survivors and youth in developing effective job search and interviewing skills. Kevin also produced an anti-bullying video, trained local high school students in writing, and acted as a mentor. His freelance writing continues today as he frequently blogs about travel and writes marketing copy for businesses. Kevin is a board member of the Honolulu-based Playbuilders, a theater company that produces plays that focus on subjects like sexual abuse, domestic violence, racism, and the foster care system. 
Playbuilders uses the stories of people and real-life survivors of DV to create publications that empower and educate audiences and service providers. Kevin is also on the planning committee for the 25th annual Men's March Against Violence that takes place in Honolulu this year. He feels it is imperative that men be proactive and part of the solution when it comes to addressing domestic violence and other forms of physical and emotional abuse. Kevin's dedicated to confronting issues like domestic violence and other forms of abuse is also fueled by his own personal experience as D- as a DV survivor and because of the murder of his siblings and stepmother by the children's stepfather, which occurred during his childhood. Kevin currently works as the communications manager for American Red Cross and as a trainer for balancing life issues. He was educated uh, in um, California State University, Northridge, and has a bachelor's degree in radio, TV, and film. So let's welcome Kevin to our show. Kevin, are you on? Thank you. I am here. <laughs> okay, <Thank> excellent. You. <laughs> okay, so my first question is is what all first questions probably would be. So share a little bit about your experience with DV that kind of resulted in a lot of your your desire to and your passion to work with DV's survivors and so forth. Sure, sure. Thank you. Um, well, I was in a long-term relationship that where there was a, um, I guess I, I could say I was, I was the the target of uh, a certain amount of abuse, and I'm not putting it all on, on the partner in the relationship, but it was something that left a, a uh, indelible um, impression on me. It was something that wound up, you know, the whole thing with police being called and. Uh, winding up in court and restraining orders and all of that stuff. And I think that um, it's something that I, I feel that th- there's never any excuse to abuse another person. And I feel like you have choices, um, whether it be walking away, whether it be talking it out, whether it, go, whether it means uh, going to see a counselor or a mediator, but hitting or striking another person unless you're defending yourself, I just never see a reason for it. Right, right, right. And um, share some of your experiences in your childhood that you were, uh, that I kind of just talked a little bit about, if you'd like to mm-hmm. expand on that. Well, sure. Um, when I was, uh, uh, I guess I was about five, I, I had a, a brother and a sister who were a little older than me. Uh, my father had remarried my mother, so I had a stepmother and I had uh, a brother and a sister. And, you know, being young, my memories are a little bit uh, vague in some ways because I remember them coming around, being at my birthday parties, things like that, and then all of a sudden they were gone. And I realized that um, it had been a while, even in my five-year-old mind, I I realized that, hey, I haven't seen uh, my brother and sister for a long time. And my parents just eventually told me that they had died and gone to heaven. And for years and years, I had just heard that they had died in a fire. And, you know, I, I missed them, but at the same time, in some ways I was blessed in that I, because I was so young, my memories weren't as, um, I, I guess, strong or solidified. But later on, as an adult, I found out that they were actually murdered by their abusive stepfather. The fire was the result of him killing uh, my brother and sister and my stepmother and setting the fire to cover up the crime. So, um, and, and one of the things that always struck me was 
my father's amazing ability to deal with that throughout his life until he passed away, knowing that his kid that at 14 and 10 had been murdered, basically, along with his ex-wife. So it's something that's always stuck with me, and it kind of fuels my passion when it comes to trying to help people avoid the situation or get over a situation, an abusive situation that they've been in. Right. And you were not in an abusive situation in your childhood. Is that correct? I grew up in Ozzy and Harriet land. I'm kind of (laughs) dating myself here uh, because, you know, I can't even think of a time when my father even raised his voice at my mother or vice versa. I kind of grew up in this house where people kind of talked it out and, you know, you, you or you kept things to yourself. You never really yelled or anything like that. So in some ways, uh, I was pretty naive to the ways of the world, and it wasn't until as a teenager I started kind of hanging out with my friends and coming over their house that I would see not any physical abuse, uh, but a lot of verbal abuse between their parents. And I remember one uh, one of my uh, good friends, I came in his house one day, and there was a hole in the kitchen wall, and I said, what happened? And he said, my dad put his fist through the wall. He didn't hit his hit his mom, but he still that was to me that's a form of abuse, and I was really shocked by it. Yeah, that is definitely a form of abuse, um, because it's it's threatening really uh, their lives. Because if uh, mm-hmm. they hit the wall, then that means I'm going to hit you next, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so tell us a little bit about play builders. I know you're involved in a lot of different things with domestic violence there in Hawaii. Right. So um, let's start with play builders. And uh, tell us a little bit about that, and also give us the address if anyone would like to go to that. Sure. Uh, I am uh, on the board of Playbuilders of Hawaii Theater Company. They're a theater company that puts on different productions throughout the year, but they have a a real strong focus on issues like abuse or domestic violence, uh, the foster care system. They talk about a lot of social issues within the context of doing live productions. Uh, What they do with their domestic violence project is that they record and take in the real stories of real survivors, both men and women, and then they present those stories on stage before an audience. And they're either presented by the person who is the survivor themselves who will get up on stage and recount what happened to them, or if they're feeling uncomfortable with that, an actor or actress will take their story and and present it in the form of a monologue. The other thing I like about it is that after the productions, they have a like 45-minute to an hour discussion between the actors and the audience to really talk about um, better understanding what abuse is about, domestic mm-hmm. violence is about, but also but also proactively trying to come up with some solutions to it as well. Mm-hmm. You can find That's out fun. more at playbuilders.org is the uh, website address. That's awesome. And let me ask you this. Uh, I did notice you said the foster care system. And let me ask you if you have um, abuse of your foster care system in Hawaii. I've heard of that happening around different states. Well, I guess my experience, first of all, I, I've known some people who are foster kids, um, not so much really in Hawaii, but back in Seattle, I knew some people who were abused to certain degrees, and that's the thing about abuse. It's not always somebody striking somebody or beating them up, but it could be right. ignoring them or emotional abuse or 
passive-aggressive behavior or taunting them or belittling them, that kind of thing. And they did experience some of that with foster parents who, you know, let's face it, were in it for the money. You know, they weren't in it to to try and raise kids, but they were in it because they got some checks from housing these kids, basically. Which is an abuse in itself as well. Exactly, exactly. And um, tell us a lot about the Men's March Against uh, Violence, uh, because I think this is uh, amazing. I like the whole concept. Yeah, well, the Men's March Against Violence, this is the 25th annual one that they're having in Honolulu. It's October the 3rd this year at the Iolani Palace at 11.30 a.m., and there's a march. There's also guest speakers. Uh, in the past, the mayor's been there. The governor's been there. I think last year they had over a 1,000 uh, show up, um, not all men, but mostly men, and men who believe that um, it's that we play a role in in dealing with this issue, you know, in addressing the issue, but also uh, coming up with solutions because we have the power to raise our kids a certain way so that hopefully they don't wind up falling into the cycle of abuse or wind up being an abuser themselves. So they, they're having the march. Uh, one of the sponsors, or there's several sponsors actually, I'll just list a few, Domestic Violence Action Center, uh, the City and County of Honolulu, Catholic Charities, Central Pacific Bank, um, Parents and Children Together, University of Hawaii, Kaiser Permanente. So it's kind of a real community-oriented event in that we have people marching, but we also have businesses and large corporations that can see that this is an important issue that's only really getting worse and that needs to be out in the open as opposed to uh, in the shadows. Yeah, and you mentioned something that's uh, important. You said only getting worse. <laughs> now, mm-hmm. let me ask you why you think that is. Is it because it's becoming because people are becoming more aware of it that it's getting worse, and so it's we're identifying it more? Or what? What is your idea on that? Well, I I think it's a combination of the two. I mean, I worked at Child and Family Service, uh, which is a nonprofit uh, here in Hawaii that. Uh, focuses a lot on uh, working with domestic violence survivors. They run domestic violence shelters. They have counselors who um, have clients who are as young as, you know, nine years old and talking about being raped by their father or oh. something like that. And the, the thing is, is that it's – you're right in that I think we know more about it and it's easier to talk about, especially when we have things in the news and famous celebrities are guilty of it, then there's a lot of attention but I think that society still has a, a real tolerance and acceptance on, on a certain level for violence and for uh, abuse and for um, sexualizing uh, men and women and even teens and even children. So there's this, it's constantly kind of in the air. And I just think it gets diminished. I don't know how many times I've heard of uh, women from women who have been assaulted and then the perpetrator wound up getting, uh, you know, a year in jail or something, or six months probation or something like oh, that. Oh, I know. You can get. I know. You know. It's amazing. I know. I've seen three months. I've seen. I mean, you know, that is, I have to say, the judicial system is one of our biggest problems, and um, uh, to acerbate actually domestic violence. 
um, for a lot of reasons. But uh, one thing I really liked about everything that you're involved in, Play Builders and Men's March Against Violence, is uh, you're looking for solutions. And you said Play Builders um, not only did these plays, but it was part of a solution. And I wanted to just share that a little bit more on what you were talking about on uh, that you try to find mm-hmm. solutions in those plays. Mm-hmm. Well, for, for one thing, a lot of survivors, I think you mentioned earlier about shame, the word shame. A, a lot yeah. of survivors can be abused or, or assaulted or been victimized by domestic violence, and it takes them 10, 15, 20 years to talk about it. So I think that Play Builders is empowering in that the, the women and men who are, are sharing their stories encourage other men and women to share their stories. That, that whole stigma of shame is lessened by the fact that you see other people saying, hey, it's okay to talk about this. You know, it's okay right. for men to talk about the fact that maybe they were abused. Um, it's okay, you know. So, so, so there's that aspect of it, but also with talking to the audience, the audience is is uh, given um, some inspiration and some tools to work with, so that maybe they're better at determining that abuse is taking place, or maybe in the classroom they see as you're a high school teacher and you see a student come in who looks like they've been in a, in a car accident. They don't want to talk about it. You're, you're better educated. You're better informed. You're more confident, and you're better able to address the situation without feeling apprehensive or embarrassed. So I think that Play Builders is kind of the, the spark that lights the fuse, and hopefully there will be 500 Play Builders across the country at some point that are doing the same thing. Yeah, I like what you said. Basically, it helps empower people to be able to speak, uh, share their own story. And I know how difficult that was. I actually um, blogged under an alias uh, my story for a while because uh, of the sh- of shame and embarrassment mm-hmm. and so forth. And you know, it is so hard for people to come out and speak on this. And I and yet I have a friend who said, "You need to stop talking about your story." And I said, well, um, I think everyone should share their story. And I think they should share it whenever they feel that they need to share it because it can help someone else. And she goes, oh, no, it's just making it worse for you. You're, and she's not like a okay. psychologist or anything. She's a exactly. teacher. Exactly. I was about she, to say, is she a doctor? No. Um, and so I'm like, it, it, it's not making it worse for me. But I think she was talking about those that kind of – Stay in their victimhood and um, mm. and their their pain kind of rules their life for a while, mm. and mm-hmm. that's not where I'm at in my life. And so you have to identify the differences between someone who's sharing it to help people and someone who's sharing it because they're still stuck in their cognitive mm. cycle where it just they don't know how to get out of that victim cycle. I think that's a big difference right there. But, well, I would um, agree. Yeah, I would totally agree. I, I was going to say one other thing. I think that sometimes, I don't know about your friend, but sometimes it's not about you're sharing your story too much and you need to stop talking about it, but you're making them feel uncomfortable. It's like when people don't want to talk about racism or they don't want to talk about something that's, that's one of those delicate subjects. 
Amen. Exactly. Yeah. That's the biggest problem. And I don't know about your area, but ours, they like to shove domestic violence under the carpet and vacuum over it a few times in hoping to flatten mm-hmm. that out so no one will notice it. And I was talking to someone not too long ago. Way. Yeah, it will go yeah. away that way. If we just shove it under the carpet, you know how that goes. Um, but I was talking to someone, was it yesterday or the day before, and they were telling me about a murder that happened in Salt Lake where the family knows that she was murdered by her um, significant other, which I think was her husband. I don't think it was a boyfriend. And um, the family, uh, but the law enforcement said, no, it was. it looked like a suicide. It was a suicide and they're like no there was nothing about her that would have been suicidal you know we want this to be investigated but in this state and I don't know about your state in our, in in this state Utah 40% of all homicides are domestic violence and that's gone up mm-hmm. in the last few years it was 33 wow. and now it's 40 and so uh-huh. what is it in Hawaii right now well, you know, I was afraid you were going to ask me that because I, I am not up on the latest statistics, but I do want to okay. give out another website, a website that has a lot of statistics, and that's the Domestic Violence Action Center, which is at domesticviolenceactioncenter.org. And you can find out more about statistics, resources, what's happening with uh, the legal system, uh, what kind of legislation uh, action is being taken taken uh, to try and change some of the laws perhaps and speak out on behalf of uh, survivors and they would give you the latest stats but I need to uh, freshen up on that hey yeah no big deal you know we all it keeps changing and unfortunately in this state it keeps going up but I'm hoping it's going down in some states and I would like to see actually what their solution model might look like um, because making things aware, uh, making people aware of uh, domestic violence doesn't seem to be making it go down. And I'm not sure well, why that is exactly. Well, one one thing I think, and this is, you know, just one of my rants that I get on, is that people don't wake up one day and all of a sudden they're an abuser, you know, or right. they don't wake up one day and say, you know something, what I want to do today is go beat up my partner and get thrown in jail for six months. I mean, it's something that's been, uh, it's like the mass shooters or any other type of person who perpetrates violence. It's been brewing and simmering and festering in them for years and years. And it goes all the way back to their childhood, usually. Um, and, this is, and this is people who find themselves in abusive relationships as well as abusers. So my thing is that you need to start talking to nine-year-olds and ten-year-olds about how to control their anger, self-esteem, boundaries, things like that. And I don't know how many times I get I get so ticked off sometimes when I hear people, well, they're just kids, you know. Well, you see, you hear some some young man calling a young woman a horrible name. Well, you know how those kids are. They're just being kids, you know. And they just kind of dismiss it. And it's like dismissing a tumor. You know, grows and grows and grows. If you don't right. deal with it. Right, and uh, with the anger is power and control, and and right. that's what initiates the unfortunately initiates the domestic violence or the sexual assaults. Um, what are some solutions that you've seen work? Um, this is kind of my question. Well, one thing I have seen um, is in working with at child and family service and working with some of the domestic violence groups that are here on Oahu in particular, 
um, I've seen a lot of women and some men that have been in the groups that once their self-esteem and self-worth starts to increase and get better, they usually are better at leaving uh, a violent uh, situation or standing up to the abuser when the abuser tries to lure them back because they realize that they're better than that. A lot of times, as you know, the abusers will knock down their self-esteem, tell them they're worthless, tell them they'd be nothing without, you know, if I wasn't taking care of you, you know, you'd be nothing. And then once they can, they can get a job on their own, I've seen this happen, and then they don't go back to that situation because, as you know, you know, you, sometimes there's that cycle of leave, yeah. come back, leave, come back. Mm-hmm. So I have seen that work. I've also seen um, some public, uh, like play builders, types of events where uh, people, again, are given uh, tools. They're given some form of action that they can take. So it could even be doing things that um, are have to do with their safety. So, like, for instance, if they're going to come home and they know their husband's drunk, they bring three friends with them or something. Or if they are going to leave a situation that they plan it out and they strategize so that they, can, they don't get caught trying to leave and then there's more abuse. So I, I think that it's about education and it's about building people's self-esteem and empowering them so that they feel like, Hey, I can get out of this and I can survive this and be a better person because of it. Yeah. And empowered for sure. And that's one thing that I talk a lot about is empowerment. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there um, any other aspect of domestic violence that you wanted to share? Yeah, well, there's so many aspects of it. I, I think I one thing, and I mean, one thing you alluded to uh, earlier, it's that it's again. I still feel that a lot of people still think, oh, it's the you know, it's the guy with the wife beater who's drunk who's beating on his wife because she burned the dinner, kind of thing, or it's people going into jealous rages, and and there's and there's so many variations of it, like you say, the control, um, the the almost stalking type behavior. I used to see that when I was dating in my 20s where um, I would be out with maybe a friend of mine who was female and her boyfriend kept calling her every hour. What are you doing? Where are you going? What's going? Who's that? Who's that person? I've had men call me say, I found your number in, you know, my girlfriend's uh, phone book. (laughs) Why are you going through a phone book? Um, I've seen it with emotional abuse, you know, neglect, um, all kinds of variations of it. It's not just about physical violence. Right. And you know what? Who walks up to a person and just hits them to say, I love you? You know, I mean, exactly. it doesn't work that way. It definitely works with the psychological abuse first. That is the baseline of all abuses. So that's the one I target the most. And n- no one ever says, oh, just because he called me a name, is that abuse? I mean, her, people don't really get that that's abuse. If someone's calling you, you know, whatever, that uh, inappropriate names, that's abuse, period. Well, and then there's so many uh, with uh, the uh, gaslighting that that takes place, mm-hmm. where right. they're very good at manipulating you to the point that you think somehow you caused it, even, um, mm-hmm. or oh, it's not as bad as you thought. Oh, you know, I was just drunk, you know that kind of. That's one of my favorite ones. I was just drunk, as if the the uh, six pack of beer turned you into an abuser. <laughs> you weren't an abuser. You know, you weren't an abuser before. It was the beer yeah. that did it. 
Uh, it's like when the celebrity said that Ambien made her racist, you know. Um, and then it was funny. Ambien came yeah. out with a, with a statement that says Ambien does not make you racist. You had to be racist to begin with. Um, so I, I think that the public still needs to get out of this denial thing. I think there's still a yeah. sense of, oh, it didn't happen that way. Oh, you know, where you were wearing a short skirt. So what did you expect? Or oh, you shouldn't um, have, yeah. um, let him drive you home. You know, right. and now we have Uber, you know, people driving people home all over. So why is it that, oh, I let him drive me home, therefore he had the right to assault me, or I somehow was giving him permission to assault me? You know, it makes no sense. But one thing I did want to say is with parents, because we work a lot with kids, um, especially with my former job at Child and Family Service, and we did this anti-bullying video, and we had some big discussions with teenagers. And I remember one young lady who was 18 years old, and she was standing in front of a group of adults and other other peers, and she started crying. And she just said, "You know, I'm in a I'm in a home where my parents are abusive to each other. They call each other names. They uh, occasionally kind of push each other around, kind of thing. They've been married for a long time. But she said, I'm afraid of winding up in an abusive relationship or being an abuser myself because this is the only modeling that I've gotten. Right. You know, so." subconsciously she can wind up, you know, being a, a, attracted to somebody maybe just like her, her dad maybe for all I know. Right, right. And and stepping back a little bit on the um, emotional abuse, one of my pet peeves is when someone says, oh, I was only joking. Number one, if you're only joking, you did it on purpose. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Exactly. It, it is not just a joke. If someone's you know, I was only joking. That that tells you right there that I have abusive tactics. Well, one thing I, I also wanted to bring up um, as far as the education thing is get educated. Men and women, I think, really need to get educated about how the legal system works, even to the point where what happens when 911 gets called. Because I think in Washington State, I don't know about the other states, it's I think it's called the somebody has to go to jail rule. So if they mm-hmm. show up to a DV, it, you know, you might everything might be calm. You're sitting on the sofa having a cigarette, but hey, you, we got the call. Did he did he grab your arm? Okay, off to jail you go, kind of thing. So um, sometimes people aren't even thinking about that, and that can I mean, not only is it bad on on just because of DV, but yeah. there's lawyers, there's jail time. There, I mean, there's all because you couldn't control your anger or you decided not to go to the counselor. You decided to get drunk that night. Right. Well, we also have the problem of we have um, law enforcement who are not educated in um, therapy, and they a lot of times will take the victim to jail. It happens mm. all the time. I get called in on those cases all the time because it ha- because they're not educated in that area, and they don't know how to tell who's who and who's the best manipulator and who's the best person to pretend they're a victim is the abuser mm-hmm. far better than the in fact I, this is why I tell people I say number one they can lie better than you can tr- tell the truth uh, and they that's can a good way to put it. it is it is true and I tell them if you go to it, <laughs> this one girl that went to jail and I said well you just joined a club you didn't sign up for and it's the same one that the savior was in he got pulled off to jail mm-hmm. for something he didn't do either so you know what that that's yeah. 
going to happen and we're just going to have to work with it. But um, so anyway, I just, uh, that's my biggest pet peeve. And uh, before I die, I want to see changes in that. <laughs> Not that yeah, um, law I mean, enforcement so will be educated. Changes. Yeah. Well, one thing I did want to mention that law enforcement, we have some law enforcement that are involved with play builders that are involved oh, with some of the, yeah, some of the discussions and, and there's a kind of a little movement to educate and uh, work with some of law, the law enforcement so they know how to handle these situations because uh, I remember I had a good friend who was a sheriff, and I asked him one time, I said, what's your least favorite call that you get you have to go out on? And I expected him to say, you know, crazy person with a machine gun. He said, without a doubt, DV cases. Because I get there, you know, the, the woman's called, and then we get there, and then it's like, okay, we're going to take him to jail. Oh, no, you're not. And then uh, the sheriff friend of mine unfortunately had to break a woman's arm one time because she came at him with a butcher knife because he was trying to take her abusive husband to jail. Right. So being being able, it's like you're walking into the twilight zone sometimes with all these emotions right. flying around and manipulation, as you said. Well, and, and why do they not want them go, to go to jail? There's numerous reasons. Number one, when they get out, they're they're in a lot of trouble. They're going to be beaten worse than they did the first time. Um, they don't really get that picture. They, they're they going to be more manipulative, more critical. They're, I mean, the abuse will escalate exponentially because of this move. You know, it, it's not a, just an easy decision. And I agree with you that that law actually was uh, brought into um, the forefront uh, with the uh, the Violence Against Women's Act of uh, 94, but mm. in 2013, they rescinded the part that a party needs to go to jail. The only thing is, is uh, none of the states rescinded that part. <laughs> and so mm. when they take someone to jail, sometimes, like I said, it's not the right person they're taking, but they have to take someone. And the easiest person to take is the one who's taking some accountability for their actions, which since mm. an abuser will never take accountability for their actions, the victim always takes some accountability for their actions. But anyway, so um, I wish they would rescind it in all states and that a judgment would be made. But personally, my goal is that a uh, DV advocate will go out with every law enforcement across the United States, and she is specifically trained in this you know, uh, in domestic violence, and she can identify the difference between a victim and an abuser because abusers are so obvious when they're lying. Mm. <laughs> but that's just my goal in life. But uh, who knows? Well, well, I, you know, again, I, I have a question for you too. Sure, sure. Over where you are, do you are there programs in the schools? Or are there organizations that focus on kids when they're third, fourth, fifth grade? Start, you know, in terms of I can tell you absolutely not, not in the mm. the county I live in. And the reason why I can tell you that is because it it was like pulling teeth to get into the high schools uh, to uh, discuss it even just a little bit. And um, when I held a, um, I went to a faculty meeting of about 50, you know, one of the high schools here, there's four of them, and invited them to the DV conference, not one attended. Mm -hmm. um, it tells you a big bunch that they don't think they have a problem. That's right. the problem. No one has a problem. 
Well, the thing is, I've heard that before, and I know that playbuilders before I got there, they were, you know, a little, a little uh, disappointed that more men weren't showing up to these productions. And I went to a few productions, and sure enough, I went to the DV uh, abuse production, and had these great stories, these, you know, um, these women uh, pouring their hearts out and really educating us about this. And out of maybe the 50 people that were there in the audience, they were like, um, I think there was one other man and me. And I, I know that some of the Playbuilders uh, people have said, well, the, you know, that doesn't, I'm not an abuser, so why do I need to go? But the thing is, is that you are probably in some position where you come in contact with, it could be your children. I have uh, eight grandchildren. I have six girls. And they're between the ages of 5 and 14, and I want them to be strong, and I want them to know, as they, especially the older ones, as they start dating, uh, as well as the boys, when they start dating, what to look for, what uh, kind of boundaries right. they need to draw for themselves. Because especially when you get in the teenage years, it can get really, really dicey with the Internet and, and the, the lyrics to songs and things like that. Um, it's just a, it's just like a whirlpool of um, issues out there that that parents and kids. So, so just because you're male and you don't abuse somebody doesn't mean that you can't be part of the solution. Right, right. And uh, you know, um, let me give an example of that. I had a grandmother last year come to our DV conference, and she said, "I would never have come to this conference except for." my grandchildren were sexually assaulted mm -hmm. and now mm -hmm. I want to learn as much as I can. And you know what? Isn't that the sad way about it? Mm -hmm. Well, that we only want to find out about it after we we've been perpetrated on or someone we love for is perpetrated on. Right. And what I asked these men, I said, do you have a daughter? Do you have a son? You know, if you, and they go, well, yeah, I've got two little girls. I said, well, at some point, you know, or I've got two boys, they're going to be in a situation where they're going to be uh, in contact with an abuser of some kind. And if they are so naive and you've sheltered them and you haven't uh, educated yourself about what to look for and how to avoid it and that kind of thing, then they're going to be like a sitting duck because uh, it's out there. It's out there all around you. The person across the street might be an abuser, the person that waves at you when they're watering the lawn. So you've got to have your antenna up at all times. Right, right. And you're right. It, it could be a neighbor, you know, and it might not be – it It might just be a, a verbal altercation, not a physical altercation. So sometimes we think, oh, well, that's that's okay. That's just verbal. And it's <laughs> none of our business, right? You know, I, I'll share with you. It happened probably about – 30 years ago, I was in a restaurant, and I'm going to tell you, it was uh, on the East Coast, and um, I was with my husband at the time, and this guy started yelling at this girl, and he threw water on her, and mm -hmm. I said to my husband, I said, you get up, and you, you, take, you talk to him. That's not okay, and I didn't really understand abuse, but again, 30 years ago, we didn't really understand a whole lot about abuse. It wasn't really until, uh, I think, the last 15, 20 years that it's come to the mm -hmm. forefront. But anyway, he said, no, that is not my business. That's between them. And I got up and I went to the bathroom because I saw she went to the bathroom. She's just crying. And I really wanted to say something, but I wasn't sure what to say. And then she looked at me and she goes, what are you looking at? And I'm like, I'm just sorry that this has happened. 
And, you know, I walked out. I, I didn't know what to say or how to console her. So, you know, sometimes we need to learn how what to say and how to console people when we see an uh, an interaction like that, even in or a even restaurant. Giving them, or even giving them a number to call. I mean, because sometimes, right. you know, they're, that's a, a, a sticky situation. So even if right. you're able to go, hey, you know, I, I – if you want to talk to someone, here's a phone number you can call. Just give them some kind of olive branch that you can reach out. It doesn't have to be right. a lot, but just that phone number might be exactly what they need at that given time. One thing I wanted to ask you was about, and this is one thing we focused on in some of the work I was doing with some of the teen groups, is dating tips mm-hmm. on uh, what, you know, how to hopefully not be a victim at all by mm-hmm. uh, avoiding uh potential abusers, male and female, uh, straight and gay relationships. Because with the Internet, you know, you got the Internet, you got dating sites, you got, um, you know, people meeting people they don't know in a bar somewhere. I mean, what what are some of your feelings about how uh, people can protect themselves? Well, when I'm talking to people who are dating, it's usually adults, not teenagers, because mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. it's probably different um, – uh, somewhat different, maybe some of the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but I even say, if he raises his voice once, you don't want him, and mm-hmm. you need to leave. And if you need to call me, I'll come get you. But I, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even like a guy. A guy that even raises his voice while you're dating tells you a whole lot how he's going to be when you're married. But raising your voice is a is it an abuse tactic for power and control? Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that when I've had discussions with adults as well, we've talked about the whole, um, can I put it, I don't want to say stalking, but it's this possessiveness, I guess. Yeah. And and it's hard sometimes because sometimes people will look at, well, he's he or she's possessive, but it's because they love me so much. So it's <laughs> kind of like, where do you, yeah. you know, where do you draw that line between somebody who, um, you know, wants to be with you a lot and somebody who always needs to know where you're going and who yeah. your friends are. And they always have an opinion and they're trying to isolate you away from your friends. So um, there's that thin line sometimes because I think when you're, especially when you first fall in love, you know, they're wonderful, I'm wonderful, she's wonderful, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And you don't see a lot of things because you're going 100 miles an hour. Right, right. And, you know, there's a lot of chemistry right there. And uh, your heart's beating <laughs> right. And so then you you uh, you make excuses. And uh, I was mm-hmm. in a marriage where I made excuses for his abuse for, you know, 20 years until I was mm-hmm. done and I was tired and I couldn't do anymore. And, mm-hmm. and I just said, uh, something's not right here. But I didn't – actually, I didn't even really understand abuse. I just knew that I just didn't care about him anymore. And then when I was – Learning about abuse, and I reflected back, he was constantly critical, and he did, you know, constantly lying to me, and uh, or constantly, he, I figured out several of them that he was lying to me, and made inappropriate, you know, decisions, and uh, so it was just, uh, I was for 20 years in an abusive relationship, and didn't even realize it, because I was given an excuse, well, that's just the way he is, or, you know, we need to be cognizant of his bipolar and his high blood pressure and you know and you don't have to be mistreated ever no one in the family has to be mistreated yelled at demeaned manipulated Mm -hmm. ridiculed anything that's not acceptable behavior under any circumstances 
Well, and if that's the way you grew up, though, too, it's, I mean, I've seen that happen in some of the group discussions we've had where um, I had a gentleman who is now a pastor, local church, and, and one of our group discussions with teens, he was telling the teens, he said, you know, when I was, and he's like in his 60s now, but when I was in my 20s, you know, I, I wasn't physically abusive, but I was definitely emotionally abusive. Right. Um, and unfortunately, he talked about coming from his own background, where there was alcoholism, there was, he witnessed a lot of abuse. So it became kind of his way of coping with uh, power, you know, having that power over someone and trying to control them because he saw his parents do that to each other. Right. And uh, it, that can be cultural as well. As you know, I think I told you that I work with a Polynesian group here in town. Oh, right. And yeah. they indicated that sometimes that's cultural to raise their voice How or to so? yell at someone or, uh-huh. uh, you know, that type of thing. So, so like I don't Italian, know. But they, I mean, I used to hear about Italians and Hispanics. I used to hear that about. I had some friends who kind of fulfilled that stereotype, too. <laughs> Right, and um, they do a better job than explaining it than I can. <laughs> but mm, oh, they sure. call it cultural abuse, but um, it is uh, PICTAR, P-I-K-2-A-R. And uh, they oh, actually sure. have a group for men um, that mm-hmm. are abusers. Because she thinks mm. not only should we find a solution in making aware people aware of this, but we should also help the perpetrators not perpetrate. <laughs> you know, what a, what oh, a concept. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And the more we understand about the perpetrator, and, and the thing, too, and, and I watch a fair amount of news, and I've seen documentaries on abuse and domestic violence, things like that, but it's I'm really hard-pressed to remember an interview with a perpetrator. I mean, I've heard right. – Countless interviews with survivors and victims and, and you know people like that, but I've never heard from a perpetrator who says this is what I was experiencing, this is what I was feeling. When where I've learned about them hasn't been through the media, but through these discussion groups or these mandatory anger management type classes and things like that, where people are forced to talk about it really. Um, but one thing I wanted to add in my own situation was um, I even took an anger management class because I said, you know, the more I know about how I can be a better person, how I can cope, um, the better off I'm going to be. Because, again, I grew up in the TV sitcom 50s kind of scene mm-hmm. and where nobody nobody fought, nobody pushed each other, nobody threw anything at each other. And here I was, you know, dodging flying objects and being called a whole bunch of names and almost run over with a car at one point. And it's like, how did I get here? And I took this psychological test, and the counselor said, he said, you know, you have a different type of anger problem, is that you suppress your anger and you you don't see it coming. So what he was saying to me is that I, the idea of anger and violence was so foreign to me that I didn't yeah. recognize when it was headed toward me. So I might even inadvertently do things that actually kind of, pour fuel on the fire because I'm thinking right. they're not going to get that upset. Right. I'll just, I'll just tell them what I think. Right? Yeah. Uh, big mistake sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I know how that goes too. Yeah. Sometimes, well, I like to be honest about everything and sometimes that upsets some people, but I think if we're all honest then we can just mull it through our mind of whether we're, that's going to work for us or if, you know, we're just going to let it go or whatever. But, um, sometimes, you know, honesty can get you in trouble. 
<laughs> well, but a lot of times it's how you say it as opposed – sometimes it's not so much even what you – sometimes it's what you say and sometimes it's how you say it. But, I mean, there's – I mean, we have a, a very broad vocabulary or English language we can draw on, and there's ways that you can tell people you're upset with them without calling them a bunch of names. I mean, it's – I don't think it's right. that difficult, and but I, I – you know. Yeah, and let me share something with you as of recent. Um, A a few months ago, well, I uh, um, was in a meeting with a bunch of DVs, uh, DV um, groups, actually, probably 20 groups. And uh, the DA is there, the law enforcement from the college is there. And I just uh, said nonchalantly uh, that, and I mentioned the girl's name, I'm trying to, Lauren something up in um, Salt Lake. She was uh, co-ed and she was killed mm-hmm. um, on the campus or right. Yeah, I think on the campus. But anyway, I said, we just don't want that to happen here. You know, we need mm-hmm. to just, you know, make more solutions. So things like that don't happen here basically is what I said. And right. this cop, which I did not know was the, uh, the officer in charge of the local um, uh, college here, uh, just started yelling at me and pointing at me and saying, you, uh, his first three words out of his mouth were, uh, evil just happens. And then he, then I just started counting how many DV tactics he used. <laughs> and by the time mm. he was done, I'm like, well, he has narcissistic tendencies and he has sociopathic <laughs> tendencies. But, uh, keeping that in mind, how many people in that room do you think said a word to him? Hmm. How many? Not anyone. Zero. Not anybody. Zero. Big zero. Zero. And the reason why is a lot of times people are intimidated by law enforcement. This is my only uh, thing I can think of because why wouldn't they? Uh, Plus, I'm going to tell you, at least half of them didn't have DV experience. So they don't know what it looks like. But the other half did. And Mm. so there should have been at least one out of that half that, that should have said something, but absolutely well, zero and, uh, said anything. I think the police need to be as, whenever you can, involved in the discussion. I mean, you were attempting that there, but um, I mean, because fortunately, I've had I've had good interactions with the cops and bad interactions in my lifetime. But I was fortunate when I worked in Bellevue to have to get to know them beyond the uniform. And and most cops, I think, are decent people who are doing a tough job. But at the same time, you have to give, like anyone, you have to give people tools. And like you mentioned a few times, people need to be educated. And when they get a call on a situation, they need to feel confident, like, okay, I know I've I've taken the DV training or I've been to some of these seminars or whatever. So they feel more confident as opposed to going to some kind of knee-jerk default kind of reaction. So, right. um, but it's all about again making people feel like it's okay to talk about this in the first place. Right, right, and and that's so important is because it's so. Um, and, and you know, it was good that this group is together. They are discussing these things. So, uh, the DA's office uh, that is uneducated in this area as well is learning a whole lot. I think, and that mm-hmm. that cop, I hope, is learning a whole lot too. I hope because he really had. Uh, well, and as you probably know, 43% of all law enforcement use DV tactics if they're not an abuser mm-hmm. themselves. 
Um, I would say mm. anyone who uses DV tactics is an abuser, but that's just what I would say. What the stats show is that they use DV tactics, and um, a lot of times and what are the that's top the like home. four or five. And what are the top like four or five DV t- tactics? Because people are going to be listening that, to this and- that they use. Um, yep. I'm going to say, uh, okay, so the my empirical articles that I use on this don't say specifically, but I would mm. guess, based on my experience, is they threaten. Uh, mm. Only I use this because uh, several people that I know are married to cops, this is what they said they use. They threaten, they raise their voice. Um, some actually are physical and say, you know what, no one's going to believe you, I did any of this, so tell whoever you want um let me see what's a couple more um oh, that's all right those are some pretty pretty strong ones right there yeah it, it's it's very very sad uh but they do have a lot of power and control at, in their position and that's what they want they want power and control over basically anyone they can have it over and mm. you know having it at home is one thing and then having it out on the job is another and probably wow. in addition to their one um, at home. But, yeah, I had a couple friends uh, married to cops. Uh, now I don't think they're married to them anymore. I know one of them mm-hmm. absolutely is not, but she was literally battered, and she tried to mm. get help, and no one would help her. Now, when you say no one, is it like the police force or lawyers? Right. Or- well, not necessarily lawyers. It was the police force. She, you know, they they have that part covered. They cover it for themselves. It's called the Brotherhood. My dad used to be mm-hmm. law enforcement, but he also was not abusive in any way either. But, um, so, but that's what they do. They cover for each other. Well, I think that uh, I've seen this happen numerous times. I've known people that have had to leave the state and live somewhere else uh, with restraining orders. I mean, use every single tool and make the person, I'm not saying that perpetrators can't be rehabilitated and that a a marriage or a relationship can't be patched up. Uh, However, don't, don't give in to the manipulation of like, oh, well, he brought me flowers or she called yeah, me yeah. Oh, we had oh, dinner oh. Or, or whatever, and then you're right back in it. Um, because yeah. if they really want to get help, they've got to prove it. They've got to prove it by going to a counselor for not one time, but for maybe right. several years. Because this anger management problem and control issue goes, didn't, it didn't happen overnight. Right. Right. It, did, it, it was trained. They were trained. To be abusers, mm-hmm. and usually from, like you said earlier, from childhood. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to get in the uh, men's march uh, information real quickly. Please do, it's, because what, cause what I'm hoping, I don't expect people to fly over here to Oahu, but uh, if they call eight zero eight five three four zero zero four zero 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 four zero, right. Or they go to domesticviolenceactioncenter.org, or they go to playbuilders.org. They can get more information about things we're doing over here, and that might provide a template for other organizations across the country to do similar things. And uh, you can also uh, put them in contact with me. I don't know how you do that on this show, but I'll give you an email address later or something if you want to attach it. And I, I'm always okay. happy to give advice or directions to people that aren't in Hawaii. 
Right. And I, I really like the template of the uh, play builders. I think that's absolutely wonderful. And your men's march, I think, is spot on because people – Men that um, either are abused or has never been associated with abuse are standing up and marching for um, against uh, violence against men, women, and children. Right. Right. And the other thing we mentioned earlier on when we before the the show started is that you know there is a lot of shame. You know, if you you get beat up by your wife. You know, you're you're abused as a male. You know, there's it's, there's a lot of reluctance to even talk about it or to make it public in, in any way. But I think it shows a lot of strength, you know, that you're able to, um, you don't want to stay in the situation, but you're able to endure it and deal with it without striking back and without resorting back with physical abuse or emotional abuse. Right. I think that showed, that's what uh, I saw in my, in my dad, you know. I and mean, even when my right. mom would get upset with him, he would just say, well, I'm going to go take a walk now. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it why wasn't not? The yeah. yelling and screaming. That is the best way is go take a walk. Yeah. Um, go take a the walk. One, a long one. Yeah. One of uh, my gentleman friends that um, was abused, um, he did try to get help, and the law enforcement just said, "Oh, come on, buddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tough it out. What do you, you know? What's the problem? Because they don't oh, get abused." Oh, absolutely. I showed up at a police station one time with a fat lip. And I just said, look, there was something happening in my house. I'm just driving over here. To, you know, if you want to talk to me about it, here it is. Big fat lip. I'll, yeah. I'll go home. Yeah. I said, well, now, and- now, if it was the other way around, I think somebody would have gone to jail. But yeah, that's, that was a long time ago. <laughs> no, that, that's true. That's true. And, um, and But the thing is, is also people don't really understand psychological abuse a lot of it has happened prior to that fat lip. Mm, true, very true. Um, uh, and one example that I give is, um, remember when uh, I think it's Ray Rice and his girlfriend fell out of mm. the the uh, elevator. Elevator, mm-hmm. <laughs> and someone's like, "Oh, that's horrible!" And then she married him because there was tons of psychological manipulation before he ever hit her. After, mm-hmm. especially after he hit her, I mean, you know, she was totally limp when she fell out, of course, and mm-hmm. and then between the time uh, all the news hit the stand and they got married, there was a ton of manipulation going on left and right. And you're right, they're really good at this. And I, I'm, I have to tell you, I'm one to fall for the oh, here's the roses, baby, I love you, you're beautiful. It mm-hmm. was such a mistake. Okay, good. That's the person I married. That's the person I know. That's the person I love. He's being wonderful again. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So we do. We well, do. That, I, I that other it. person didn't. That other person didn't go away. That's just the part of who they are. And well, you know, I right. mean, narcissistic behavior. I mean, they're excellent right. at concealing the truth. Right. Yeah. Right. Concealing the truth. Very good. Yeah, they they are better. Um, they play better victims than victims do. They play better liars. Uh, they you know can tell a lie better than the victim can tell the truth for sure. Because the victim, why why can't they tell the truth so well? Is because of the fact that their head's pretty messed up. They're in shock, you know. And depending on where they've been hit or what's happened, um, that shock may have uh, turned into a TBI. <laughs> that bruises mm-hmm. haven't shown yet. Yeah. I mean, it takes eight hours, 16 hours for bruises to start popping up, not five minutes. 
Well, and sometimes the bruises don't even show up uh, visibly in that. I mean, anytime I was taught that anytime somebody physically, any, anytime somebody creates a barrier to you personally from where you want to go or impedes your progress, that is a, a form of abuse. So if I stand in front of the door and say, you're not leaving, right. Right. I don't have to touch you, but it's the intimidation um, and it's me blocking your path, that's abuse. Right. I know absolutely that is abuse. Putting your foot in the door so you can't mm-hmm. shut it, that's abuse because it's intimidation. Mm-hmm. It's intentional psychological intimidation. You know, or even dry, I've known people that, uh, and this is a woman, she put her boyfriend out on the freeway. She just pulled the car over there, have an argument, put, and, and even that, I mean, I, no, it's not even get run over or anything like that. But at the same time, you get put out in the freeway at two o'clock in the morning. You know that's pretty traumatic. Yeah. Well, and where are you going to go in the middle of the freeway? Right. Especially yeah. in the dark at two o'clock in, in the, the morning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, I want to thank you so much. If there's anything else that you want to share, I'm just so grateful that you came on to share what was going on in Hawaii. And I would love for any of my listeners to go over there. And I will definitely send you this link so that you can pass it around there as well. Great. I really appreciate it. It was great being on your show. And I look forward to more discussions. And if you want referrals, I got other people you can talk to as well. Yeah, when I hang up here, I will be calling you. <laughs> okay, <laughs> or, all right. Or I'll be emailing you. That'd be better, huh? Because it is kind of late well, over here way. these days. <laughs> well, either way, it's fine. <laughs> okay. Hey, all thank right. you so much, Kevin, for being on. All right. Have a good night. You. you too. I just want to thank Kevin for coming on tonight. It was an, an amazing discussion. Um, we talked about all aspects of domestic violence, which was unexpected. I was thinking we were going to focus more on on um, men being abused. But you know what? I really like the solutions that he came up with, and I like that they work towards solutions in domestic violence. I think that is should be all of our goals, is working towards solutions. And first, before you can work towards solutions, you got to find out what the problem is so you can address the solutions, right, in that way. So I want everyone to stay safe and have a good week, and I will see you next week.